health information from experts supported by research. From University of Utah Health, this is thescoperadio.com. Trying to stay informed about the latest COVID-19 variants can be exhausting. Seems like things change every week, and if you're like me, you're often left wondering, what do I do with all this information? Dr. Stephen Goldstein is an expert in coronavirus. He has a PhD in coronavirus research. And today I'm going to take a step back and try to find out what information is important and what isn't when a new variant is announced and how you can decide how the new variants might impact your life. As of right now, Omicron remains the dominant strain of COVID-19. And my first question is, do variants of Omicron tend to give people the same symptoms, the same level of sickness, the same chance of developing long COVID? Or are they all a little bit different? A little different in certain ways and probably about the same in others. So in terms of impacts like the virulence or or the severity, average severity of infection, there's pretty good evidence that, for example, BA1 was less severe on average than Delta, for example, which was more severe than the original version of the virus. And there's some evidence like from animals that BA2 was maybe a little bit more severe than BA1, but all of that is kind of pretty thin and the differences are probably small. So I wouldn't think if I were a person thinking, oh, I got a BA5 infection, this is going to be much worse than a BA1 infection would have been. The likelihood is that the severity is not going to differ a huge amount between these different versions. They are different in terms of the way they're recognized by the immune response. And that's where the major differences between different versions of Omicron lie. And is that in terms of the symptoms, how they're recognized or when when you say, you know, it's they're different in terms of how the the immune system, what does that mean? Yeah. So, uh, for example, the original version of the virus, the spike protein had a particular sequence of amino acids, the chain of letters that constitutes the spike protein. And that kind of folds up in a very complicated way into a structure and our antibodies that are produced as part of the immune response recognize essentially the shape of that structure. And so Omicron BA1, say the first version, had a pretty different structure or shape on the part of the protein that antibodies are able to access than the original version of the virus. And that meant that if you were infected in, say, 2020 or by alpha or delta, then the antibodies you made at that time in reaction to the shape of, say, the delta spike protein might not be very good at recognizing the shape of the Omicron BA1 spike protein. And so you would be at, uh, you know, an elevated risk of reinfection. Say your reinfection, your risk of reinfection by the original version was whatever percent chance. Then once BA1 took over, your risk of reinfection went up by some amount. It's kind of like in the analog world. I recognize a threat by its shape exactly. up on the distance. And now if that animal or that critter's shape has changed, I'm like, is that? Yeah, know. that's a really nice yeah. metaphor, I think. And the vaccines until now, until very recently, consisted of only the original version of the spike protein, which has a pretty different shape than the Omicron version. So if you got your vaccines you know, before this fall, your immune system was trained to recognize just the original version, the original structure of that spike protein of the original virus. This all gets really complicated because there were people (laughs) who were vaccinated with the original version, but then infected with BA1 and so, or BA2 or BA5. And so all of these different combinations interplay with each other in really complex ways that are difficult even for, you know, scientists to really pull apart. And so individuals should not worry themselves about the details of all of this They should just know that the vaccines have been updated now to a version of the BA5 Omicron spike. And 
So that is a significant update for your immune system. If it was previously trained by the original version of the spike protein or the BA1 version of the Omicron spike. And this vaccine that uh, is better at BA5 is the one that's just recently come out within the past month or two? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just within the past month or two. And, and I just got mine. Okay. So, all right, great. So now you're hearing some subvariants of, are these subvariants of BA5 or are these variants of their own, this BQ1 and BQ1.1? So these are subvariants of BA5. Okay, so we with COVID, BA5, and then underneath BA5. And then underneath BA5, <laughs> okay. we've got all these diversifying subvariants now. And look, viruses are picking up mutations all the time. So any lineage we have, you know, especially a lineage that's dominant, means there's going to be a lot of those viruses out there in the world. They're picking up additional mutations and splitting off into different sublineages all the time, every day. The question is whether any of those sublineages are better at replicating and transmitting in people than the lineage they kind of spawned off from. Most of them are not. So they might occur in a, a few people and transmit one or two times, but not go anywhere. BQ1 and BQ1.1 seem like maybe they are better at doing those things than the original BA5. And that's why they're increasing and why we're talking about them. And as just a regular person, what should I do with that information? Because part of me is like, well, maybe I should pay attention to it. But then the other part of me as well, though, they might just go away. You should get the BA5 booster. Okay. <laughs> That's easy, right? Yep. We've taken this very complicated subject. And once again, it seems to come down to this very easy action that we all take, which is just get the most recent booster. Get the most recent booster. And this is actually, there's a really cool immunology that explains why you should get the recent booster, even if it's matched to the original BA5, not to BQ1 and BQ1.1, is as your immune system gets exposed to different versions of the spike, it expands what we call its breadth. When you were, say, vaccinated with the original version of the spike, you made antibodies targeting primarily the original version of the spike. Then if you got infected with BA1, you made some new antibodies and some new antibody producing cells that will recognize BA1. You also boosted your original antibody producing cells to the original version of the spike. But what you also do is actually make different kinds of antibodies as well that actually end up being able to recognize variants you have, your body hasn't even seen yet that may not exist. And so that's what we talk about kind of expanding the breadth or the scope of the immune response. So if you've been vaccinated with the original version two times or three times, and maybe you had BA1 and now you're getting the BA5 spike, you're actually going to have an antibody response that is able to do all kinds of different things, not just the specific things that it's been trained to do. Yeah. And so the BA5 booster, even if it's not a perfect match for BQ1, is actually probably going to produce some antibodies that recognize BQ1 anyway. Back to the metaphor you're just gaining experience yeah. at, at recognize, well, the shape's not quite the, the same, but the way it moves is kind of the same. So that could be the same threat. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So what about symptoms? Somebody who had the original COVID-19 virus versus maybe a BA5 virus, are they going to have different symptoms? I remember like loss of smell and taste was big in the beginning. Is that still a thing or? I think those things are still happening. The The difficulty in kind of picking that all apart is very few of us, if you got infected with the original version of the virus, it's the first time in your life, your body and your immune response have seen that virus. If you get it again, even with a slightly different variant, you know, the immune system has a lot of different components to it. And just because the virus is maybe a little bit better at slipping past your antibodies doesn't mean it's not recognized by other parts of your immune response. 
that can still serve to dampen the amount of symptoms you see. So reinfections on average on a population level are going to be less severe than primary infections. doesn't mean an individual person can't have it worse the second time because we're talking about averages or the third time. It can happen. But probably the chances that you're going to have some particular symptoms on average become less likely as you go through more infections in your life. So even if, say, BA5 is just as likely to cause a loss of taste and smell the first time someone gets infected by it, doesn't mean that if it's your fourth exposure to this virus through some combination of infection and vaccination, that you're just as likely to lose your sense of taste and smell. So a lot of that, as the immune landscape becomes more complex, the symptomology becomes more difficult to kind of tease apart. And that's why you hear people that have had had it a few times say, oh, it's just a cold this time. Yeah, sure. Like it's not quite as bad because the immune system is getting smarter. Yeah, and your absolutely. Body's seen it. And on average, and I want to emphasize that that that's the average scenario for yeah, most yeah, people yeah. that will be true, but everybody's different. There are people who are going to say I had it the second time and it was way worse. Got it. Got it. Because we're when all there's different. 7 billion people in the world, you're going to have people <laughs> yeah. who are worse than the, I mean, the average is the average for a reason because there are people who are worse than that and there are people who are less. There are people who are going to have no symptoms their first time even, or their second and third time. And there's a lot of people who are going to have, you know, mild or moderate. And then some people are going to have it worse the second time for whatever reason. Most cases, we don't understand why. What about post-COVID? So like long COVID, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Do different variants cause different extremes of the long COVID? Or is it much like what you just described with the immune response and the symptoms? This is an area that is still pretty murky. I think we don't even have a really good understanding of exactly what causes long COVID yet. And if, and long COVID is, you know, if we define it very broadly as, you know, kind of any symptoms that are persisting past three months or six months, however, whatever date you want to pick. And some examples of that would be shortness of breath. What are some other examples? Sure. Uh, brain fog, extreme okay. fatigue, things yeah. like that. But we don't know if those are caused by the same thing in all people. Some people maybe are having some persistent replication of the virus in their bodies. Other people, maybe the virus is gone, but their immune response has gone haywire after their infection. So we still need to kind of pick all of that apart. In my opinion, we are still, our knowledge is still kind of thin in that area. And then also, again, we don't really have a great understanding of, you know, my expectation would be that, you know, if you didn't get long COVID the first time, the chance of getting long COVID on the second time is probably less than the first time. But it's also complex because the more times you get COVID, the more likely you may be to, you know, it's better your to be- Your odds. In, yeah, your odds. It's really complicated yeah. is, is what I think the best answer I can give you is. And I think I, I realized maybe a flaw in my thinking as we're having this discussion, which is I'm putting the symptoms and- is this going to give me long COVID on the disease, but it's really the individual and how they're reacting to the disease. That's a big part of that equation too. Yeah. I think the, the kind of inflammatory part of the immune response probably has a lot to do with long COVID in a, in a lot of cases, but there's still so much that we need to learn about this. I mean, unfortunately this has been an area I think that has largely, there's been underinvestment in, in the research front. Hopefully that changes. But I think the best way to put it is, you know, probably your risk of long COVID goes down for each infection. The risk of getting long COVID after that infection goes down. But every time you get COVID, there's probably an additional chance. So, you know, it's the average risk goes down, but there is some additive effect. Because my thinking, as far as I'm aware, I have not had COVID, 
Right. And, Good. and so then I hear about these variants and they're like, oh, this variant's less severe and whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not so afraid of getting that variant now because yeah. I've been vaccinated. I feel pretty healthy. I know I'm probably not going to get severely ill, but that long COVID thing scares me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my expectation is that, you know, vaccination, especially keeping up with the boosters probably reduces your risk of getting long COVID. Ultimately, it's, it's just an area we don't have a lot of hard data yet, but from a immunological standpoint, that's my expectation. And what about, so now we, 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 when COVID first came out, we had one line of defense and that was social. It was wearing masks. It was keeping our distance, those sorts of things. And then we got a vaccine Mm -hmm. and then um, maybe this isn't the exact chronological order, but then now we also have treatments as well, right? Yep. I hear these words like treatments, therapies, interventions. Are those all essentially the same thing? Give me the hierarchy of that. Yeah. So treatments and therapies kind of come, they kind of come in two flavors. So one is antiviral drugs like Paxlovid, and that works to disrupt the actual replication of the virus. So it doesn't stop the virus from getting into your cells, but it stops it from replicating. Then you've got these antibody therapies and they basically work like your immune response, but they're giving it to you from kind of outside what we would call passive immunization in a sense, but you can also do it therapeutically. Give these antibodies, the virus that's in your body, it stops them from infecting new cells. The problem with these is that a lot of these antibodies are designed against an older version of the virus and are becoming much less effective against Omicron. So we need new antibody therapies One way is ones that are developed specifically against different Omicron variants, but actually the better goal is to make antibody therapies that are based on what we call broadly neutralizing antibodies that show the ability to target many different versions of the spike protein. And those do exist. We just, we need to get them. They've been identified, but we need to get them across the finish line as far as developing therapies based on them. And in those instances, that is after somebody contracts COVID, these are tools that are used to help reduce the severity. Uh, for the most part, yes. There is one antibody drug called Evusheld that's used to actually protect people. Um, that's given like every few months, and it's primarily given in p- for people who are immunocompromised to protect them preemptively or preventatively. Looks like it's not going to be working very well against the latest Omicron variant, so we do badly need an update there. But that is something much like the vaccines can be updated. Yes. It just uh, is going to take some time. Take some time. We ideally want to develop them based on those broadly neutralizing antibodies because then we're not chasing variants and we're cutting down the chance that we're going to get a variant that escapes that antibody therapy. We can just have ones that are based on broadly neutralizing antibodies and roll with those hopefully for a very long time. And then what about home test accuracy when we're talking about the variants? Uh, You know, I know people that said, oh, I'm sure I had COVID, but I kept getting negative on my tests. Right. Do the variants uh, not... Are, are not as detectable by some of those home tests? How does that work? So, so far we have not seen any variants that seem to have dented the accuracy of the home oh, really? test, especially I think the most popular ones that people are using, especially in the U S. So these home tests, they're not designed to detect the spike protein, which is the part of the virus that changes the most. And so they're not super sensitive to the variants hmm. escaping them. So I think More of the variable performance of the home tests is people vary in the amount of virus they have in different parts of their body. So some people have a lot of virus in the lungs, and maybe those are the people who get really sick. And some of them will also have a lot of virus in the nose. Some people have very little virus in the nose. So you may have heard like a story where, you know, someone 
got infected and their partner or wife or husband didn't get it. Why? I mean, they live together. They yeah. were, you know, people are often transmissible before they get symptoms. So maybe they slept in the same bed. How is that possible? Yeah, it's why? I, I'm right. asking. <laughs> so, so one big reason is probably that some people just don't shed a lot of virus out of their nose or their upper airway, their trachea. And if you don't have a lot of virus coming out of your nose, the home test is not going to work as well. Or maybe some people, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I didn't test positive till day three. Well, some people, maybe the amount of virus in their nose spikes up really fast. And those are the people who are going to test positive the first day they have symptoms like me when I had <laughs> COVID. Sure. Uh, other people, maybe the v- amount of virus in their nose kind of increases much more gradually. And so maybe it's two or three days into their sickness before they have enough for the test to detect. The final point of your question, I'm sure I had COVID. Why did I keep testing negative? So one possibility is you did have COVID, but you never had a lot in your nose. The other possibility is you were infected with one of literally hundreds of other viruses that can cause a very similar respiratory disease. Maybe they're less likely, even much less likely in some cases to cause, you know, severe pneumonia, but distinguishing between different viruses, if you just had essentially an upper respiratory tract infection, maybe you had a mild fever, distinguishing between those from a clinical standpoint is impossible. Give me some advice on how I should move forward. Uh, when COVID first came out, I paid very close attention to what was going on, as I would imagine a lot of people. And then it gets very fatiguing. Yeah. Uh, and then I hear a new story about, oh, there's a new variant. But then I'm like, oh, I don't know if I have the wherewithal to dive into learning all about that. W- where should I be in my life as far as when I hear news stories about new variants or whatnot? So aside from making sure your vaccine is updated, getting the booster, we covered that. Definitely do that. Beyond that, you know, I personally, even myself, and so certainly not for, certainly for someone who's not a coronavirus researcher, worry day to day about which variant is dominant. So I would look more at the curve, the number of cases, than which variant it is. For most people, the specifics of which variant are dominant at any given, given time, this is not important information to me, frankly. And I wish there was less coverage in the media of like this variant, this variant, this variant, because the things that people can do in their day-to-day lives are the same. Get boosted. And, you know, if your risk mitigation practices are prone to change, if you're interested in changing them based on what's going on, just look at the number of cases. Doesn't matter which variant they're being caused by. Just pay attention to how much virus is transmitting in your community and react to that. And that's for the average person. What about for somebody who uh, might be immunocompromised or something like that? Same, same advice? Well, I mean, I think someone who's immunocompromised should be taking more precautions all the time. And that still scales, I think, with the amount of virus that is going around in the community. And another thing people who are immunocompromised should do is, uh, you know, we mentioned, we talked about that drug Evusheld that can be given preventively if that continues to be recommended by the FDA, meaning that it still works against what they expect to be the variants that are circulating, uh, get that if you're immunocompromised. We have a actually a huge problem is this drug has not been promoted well enough and many fewer people than the number who would benefit from it are getting it. Hopefully there'll be an update to this kind of preventative antibody therapy soon to better match the variants that are circulating. Definitely as soon as that happens, if you're immunocompromised, if you qualify for this drug, get it. It's very effective. Let's wrap it up with what should the average person take away from this conversation 
when it comes to COVID-19 variants. Most people can just tune out the noise about what particular variant, the news stories that you're seeing every day about uh, the newest variant and the immune escape properties of the latest variant, et cetera. I think it's not just not important for most people. I think it's drowning people in complexity that frankly is irrelevant to them. I mean, tell pe- give people the best advice. Like I said, get boosted, match your risk mitigation to the number of cases in your community. And that is literally all you need to know. You do not need to know what amino acid changes there are in the BQ 1.1 spike relative to the original BA5 spike. There's not a separate vaccine for the two of them. So who cares? So go get the booster for sure. Have a question about a medical procedure? Want to learn more about a health condition? With over 2,000 interviews with our physicians and specialists, there's a pretty good chance you'll find what you want to know. Check it out at thescoperadio.com.